And now I invite you to turn with me to that letter uh, to the Philippians, Paul's letter to the Philippians. I believe it's page 1825, 1825 in your pew Bibles. And we're going to look at the first 11 verses of Philippians chapter 1 this morning. The first 11 verses, Philippians chapter 1. Again, page 1825, Philippians 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you, In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Sisters and brothers in Jesus Christ, it's uh, the 4th of July, it's Independence Day. When I was a kid, we used to look forward to this day. It was a parade on the 4th of July, not such a big deal for me anymore, but at the time it was. There were picnics, everybody had vacation time, there were fireworks, it was a celebration. Sometimes uh, we even got to go to my grandma's house in Oostburg, and in Oostburg, in the public park in the center of town, they had a little carnival every summer. And at that carnival, they had uh, one game in particular that I loved. It was, it was like a, a table that was set up, and you had to stand a few feet away, and they'd give you these metal rings. They were sort of like big metal washers. And you could toss them onto the board, and the board was, all, was filled with all sorts of coins. And whatever coins you got that washer to completely surround, those coins would be yours. And I remember trying for that silver dollar that was on the board, right? That was riches to me. And you would try over and over. It was sort of like Potawatomi for kids. And so there was all sorts of anticipation brewing for that day, right? We looked forward to that day. Sort of like Paul and the day of Christ Jesus. Twice in these first 11 verses, maybe you heard it, Paul mentions the day of Christ. It's in verse 6, it's again in verse 10, it'll come up again later in this letter, and it's just a very brief letter. 
But he mentions the day of Christ, the day of Christ. And it's not just in this letter, it comes up in all of Paul's letters. And it's not always the day of Christ, sometimes it's just the day or that day. Sometimes it's the day of wrath or the day of redemption. But what, is, what Paul has done here is he's taking the Old Testament term, the day of the Lord, and he's translated it into the day of Christ. Now, the day of the Lord, just for a little background in the Old Testament, was the day that God would call all of history to a conclusion, to an end. It was the day of wrath because on that day, God would come to judge the world. And He would punish all of those who had treated His own people with contempt. He would punish the unrighteous. It was a day of reckoning for all the bad things, for all the evil that people had done while in the world. But Paul sees the end of history coming with the return now of Jesus Christ, with His second coming. The day of the Lord has become the day of Christ, and Jesus is now the one who will come to judge the living and the dead, right? That's what we profess in the Apostles' Creed. And what we see in these first 11 verses of Philippians is that that day looms quite large in Paul's mind. In fact, Paul sees life through the perspective, through the lens of that day, that coming day of Jesus Christ. And yet for Paul, that day isn't a fearful day, okay? It's not a dreadful day. It's a sobering day. But like the 4th of July, it's a day to anticipate. It's a day to look forward to. It's a day of comfort. That's how the Heidelberg Catechism speaks about it, right? If you recall question and answer 52, it says, how does Christ's return to judge the living and the dead, how does that comfort you? Okay, how does that comfort you? Not how does that terrify you or how does that shake you to the core or how does that bring you to your knees? But how does that comfort you? The day of Christ is a good thing. It's a comforting thing. It's a beneficial thing. It's something that Paul looks forward to. And so, friends, what I want to do as we begin our study of Philippians is I want to point out how if we too begin to adopt that view of the day of Christ and begin to see life through the perspective of that day, how that leads to three things for us, right? It leads to a new identity, our forever identity, and it leads to a new prerogative, and it leads to a new assurance for us as God's people. So let's begin looking at this new identity, our forever identity, okay? But before we can talk about that, that new identity, I guess it would help just to talk about the identity of the Philippians and get a feel for who they were. You heard some of that on the video just a moment ago. Philippi was on the eastern part of the Roman Empire, sort of in that place between Europe and Asia. And Philippi was a very proud city. It was named after Philip II, who was the father of Alexander the Great. It was also a very wealthy city. It was situated right on a thoroughfare, a main thoroughfare between the east and the west. It, wasn't, it was just a few miles away from a major port. There was all sorts of wealth in Philippi. 
But perhaps more importantly than that, Philippi was actually a colony of Rome. It was a colony of Rome. And what that means is it wasn't located in Italy, but the people of Philippi were actually granted what you might call honorary citizenship in Rome. Okay? It was, it was, a, it was like a city that you took out of Italy and plopped right at the edge of, of the eastern side of Europe. And it was like Rome the second, Rome Junior, you might say. And the Caesars were actually smart enough to fill it with former soldiers, okay? So many of the soldiers who retired from, from the Roman army uh, were given their retirement benefits in the form of property in Philippi. So if they wanted to go to Philippi to move there, Caesar would give them a nice place to live, a little land, all that kind of thing. Those were the benefits that they received. And what Caesar got back in return was a city on the eastern sh- or outskirts of their empire that was filled with former soldiers and could protect the empire from marauders coming from the east. There's never a free ride. There's always something in mind. But what this led to was incredible pride in the people of Philippi, pride at being Roman. The people dressed like Romans. They spoke Latin like the Romans did. They probably even had parades, right, with Roman flags flying from their pickup trucks. They were very, very um, nationalistic kind of people, national pride. That was who they were. That was their identity. Until, until they came to know Jesus Christ. From that point on, they became a different people. They became God's people, Christ's people. From that point on, they became citizens not of Philippi, not of Rome, but citizens of heaven that were placed here on this earth in Philippi, in the Roman Empire. And so what you see is they have a a new identity, total and complete. Look at verse 4. In all my prayers for all of you, I pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. Okay, from the first day until now. What's their new identity? They are partners in the gospel. They are partners, partners with Paul, first of all. That word partnership is an important word in this letter. It's an important word for Paul. It's a word really that means fellowship, but it's got all sorts of practical implications with it. It it, it has more to do with a business partnership, okay? And when you're in a business partnership, at least in this way of thinking, You shared in the work of the business, but you also shared in the financial responsibility for the business. Everybody took the same financial risks in that business. Everybody worked hard at the business. You couldn't just sort of stand behind the scenes and support things. You were out there on the floor trying to make that thing work. So financially and practically, you were partners in the business. You were partners with Paul in the advance of the gospel, their partnership in the gospel. And just a little later, a couple verses later, you find that that same partnership is a partnership in the grace of God. Okay, they are partners with Paul in advancing 
the gospel. But it's not only Paul that they are partners with, it's also God that they are partners with, right? Paul writes, from the first day until now, the God who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. God is at work. This is a reminder that this is God's mission, okay, from beginning to end. This is His work, and we are just partners with Him. But our partnership is, is not short-term. It's not a temporary position. It's permanent. It's full-time. It's got full benefits. It's total partnership. We are partners with God forever. Think about it. When was the first day? Paul says, from the first day until now. When was that first day, do you think? When did they become partners? Was it when the Philippians were born? Was it when they joined the Roman army? Was it when they retired in Philippi? What's Paul talking about? What's the span? When did this all begin? It began when God made them partners in the gospel. When God began His good work in them. Paul is here reminding the Philippians of their story and the fact that their story begins with God. Okay? Their story begins with God. This is all written in Acts chapter 16, but I think it's wonderful background for understanding this letter. So I just want to remind us of what happens in that chapter. In Acts chapter 16, Paul was actually preaching the gospel in Asia Minor, okay? And he had plans for going further east in Asia and continuing to preach the gospel in that direction. But he was stopped by the Holy Spirit. Let me just read a few verses for you. When Paul and his companions came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, which was to the northeast. Okay, this would be northeast into Asia. But the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to go. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas, which was a town on the coast. Now listen to this. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man from Macedonia, which was off to the northwest. Okay, Macedonia, and into Europe. And this man from Macedonia was standing and begging Paul, come over to Macedonia and help us. And after Paul had seen the vision, it says, we got ready to leave at once for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Okay, now did you hear that last line? They concluded that God had called them to preach the gospel in Philippi. Paul didn't make this decision. His companions didn't make this decision. The Philippians didn't make this decision. God made this decision. God wanted them to be there. But that's not where the story ends. Now we're told that on the Sabbath in Philippi, okay, Paul decides to go down by the river and he finds a small group of women there, right? And this is something to take note of as well, because in just about every other place that Paul travels to share the gospel, he always seeks out a synagogue in the town, and that's where he begins to share the gospel of Jesus. But apparently in Philippi, there was no synagogue. Okay, the place is so Greek, it's so Roman, that seemingly there weren't even enough Jewish men to begin a synagogue in that place. But that doesn't dissuade Paul. 
Instead, he goes down to the river, he finds a small group of women, and he starts sharing the gospel, preaching to them. Now, in that small group of women, there was a businesswoman named Lydia. And notice how the book of Acts, or what the book of Acts says about her. It says, the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. Okay? It doesn't say Lydia opened her heart. It doesn't say Paul opened her heart. It says God opened her heart. He did it. He did all of this, right? He blocked Paul's travel to Asia. He called him to Macedonia instead. He opened Lydia's heart. He did it. He did it. He did it. Over and over we read that this is what God did. And now Lydia says to Paul, hey, if you believe that I've become a follower of Jesus, then come and stay at my house. And Paul did. And this was the beginning of the church at Philippi. In fact, this is the beginning of the spread of the gospel throughout the whole continent of Europe. God did this. It's His work. And here in the letter to the Philippians, Paul reminds the Philippians of that first day. He reminds them of that first day. And in so doing, he's reminding them that they are God's workmanship, right? That they have been created in Christ Jesus to be partners in the advance of the gospel. They too belong to God in body and soul, in life and in death. They belong to their faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He owns them. He owns them completely, totally. And this new identity, this new commission that they've been given, this new citizenship, it supersedes any other citizenship that they belong to. It supersedes any other commission they've been given. It supersedes any other identity that they see themselves owning. You can't retire from this. You can't move away from it. You can't quit it. It's yours even beyond death. From the first day until now, until the day of Christ, this is your new identity. Partners in the gospel and in the advance of the gospel in the name of Jesus Christ until the day of Christ. That's what it meant for them. What does it mean for us? Well, it means the same thing means we too had a first day it means too that i don't belong to myself but i belong to my faithful savior jesus christ body and soul in life and in death everything is his he is my identity and it means every day we live into our new identity more and more every morning we wake up and we say i am not my own I belong to Jesus Christ. His will is my will. I'm a partner in the advance of the gospel, which supersedes and dictates any other partnership that I may be involved in. The day of Christ gives us a new identity, a new commission, a new owner. Okay? Seeing through the day of Christ we see that we belong not to ourselves, but we are in total, 100% service to God. And He will continue to use us and do through us exactly what He was doing through the Philippians. 
But there's more. There's more to seeing through the lens of the day of Christ. Seeing through that lens also gives us a new prerogative on life, okay? It gives us a new prerogative. Let me try and explain what I mean. We all tend to live in the light of a particular day that is off in the future, okay? We all tend to live for a day in the future, smaller days than the day of Christ, For instance, maybe you're leaving on vacation later this week. Maybe you're leaving later today. Maybe it's Thursday or Friday. What happens? You begin to focus on that day, right? And the things that you do all sort of line up in service to that particular day. You kind of set your work aside for a while and you focus on getting the tickets ready or the car ready or reservations, all of that stuff, right? Making sure you're ready. That's just one particular day. Sometimes, sometimes that day is a, is a project at work, right? There's this important project that needs to be done, and it takes um, precedence over everything else in life. And your family begins to complain and, and all of that kind of stuff, right? Because that day has become sort of the biggest day for you. And we all have days like that in our lives somewhere down the road, right? Maybe it's the due date of our first child. Or maybe it's the day that all of our children are going to be in school and we can breathe again. Or maybe it's the day when all of our children are going to be out of the house and we can even breathe better. Maybe it's the day of retirement, right? If I can just make retirement and everything kind of serves that purpose. What happens when we have those lesser days that we're living for? What tends to happen is we narrow the scope of our lives. Okay, that day narrows the scope of our life. Let me try and give you an example, all right? <laughs> I think most of you know, if you're living in Wisconsin at least, the Milwaukee Bucks are trying to win a championship right now, right? That's the day that they have in mind, and we as fans have in mind as well. We want to see that day when they will lift up the Larry O'Brien trophy, right? That's the day kind of we're all living for right now, at least sports fans are. Now, if you're in that situation, if that's the day that you're living for, let me ask you, have you thought about the Milwaukee Bucks in terms of, uh, boy, I wonder if they're getting their lawn care taken care of at this time. You know, are they getting all the dandelions out right now? Or, or I wonder if they're getting their laundry done. You know, do, are they going to work with clean socks and underwear? Is that the kind of thing you're worried about? Are they, are they spending enough time with their kids? You're not thinking about that, are you? All you're thinking about is that day and everything that might lead to that day, right? Are they, are they practicing their dribbling and their passing because it really doesn't look like it? Are they practicing their rebounding? Are they trying to play better defense? Are they learning to shoot better? Those are the things we care about, right? And everything else, well, everything else doesn't contribute to that day, and so we don't care about it. When you live for the day of Christ, that day has exactly the opposite effect. Why? Because it's the day of Christ. And, and see, Jesus is, is Lord of everything. Jesus cares about everything. And if he cares about everything, then, then I care about everything as well. 
the, the scope of my concerns and my, my work and my service on a weekly basis, on a daily basis, it's not narrowed down by that day. It's expanded. It's broadened by that day. This is why Paul can pray in verse 9. He prays that the love of the Philippians will abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Now think about that. He says, I pray that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and in wisdom, in, in how, to, how to think practically and how to live practically in the world around you and with the people around you. What he's saying is sort of, it, it hits us wrong, right? We think that love is all about the tin man. It's all about the heart. We need a heart. We need emotions. And love is, it kind of comes to us instinctually, right? We, we, we're struck by something emotional, and that's what we love. That's why, that's why they throw commercials on TV about, you know, all these dogs that are suffering somewhere in the world. They're not being fed. And, and we see those commercials, and we think, oh, those poor pets. We better give some money to that. It's, it's all kind of an emotional thing. But what Paul says is that I want your love to grow in your brain. I want you to think more as you love. This is, this is scarecrow, right? You need some brain here. And what Paul is saying is, in your love, I want you to, to be able to analyze very, very specific situations that are going on around you and figure out how can I love better in this particular situation. My neighbor is going through this kind of situation. He or she is suffering from dementia right now. How can I better love my neighbor in this particular situation? You see, what Paul is saying is, I want your love to abound. I want it to go beyond any kind of boundaries. Abound. It's adverse to boundaries. Okay, I want your love to keep expanding and expanding, but in very, very particular ways. We need to think through, says Paul, every situation in life and think out, how can I love better in this situation? And what Paul is saying is, any other day that we hold before us, other than the day of Christ, is going to narrow down our love. It's going to make it abound less and less. It's going to be less and less specific. It's not going to care about those individual situations. It's not going to care about, about the people who are, who, are, who are suffering from violence in the city and, and all of those kinds of situations. It's not going to care about those. But Paul says when you live in the light of the day of Christ, okay, all of a sudden, my love has to expand. And it's got to become more and more specific. All right? So living in the day of Christ, living through that lens, gives us a different prerogative, a new prerogative in life. And finally, the day of Christ gives us a new assurance. It gives us a new assurance. And friends, what I want you to understand here is simply this. The day of Christ will be a good day. It's going to be a good day. It really will. It'll be Christ's day. 
It will be the day that Jesus Christ is fully acknowledged as the Son of God. It will be the day when he is fully acknowledged as the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. It will be the day that every knee bows before him. It's the day that he will be honored and glorified for humbly giving himself for the salvation of his church, for sinners such as us. That day will mark the completion of God's work of salvation in us. Okay? It will mark our full sanctification. That his work in us is complete on that day. Now, there are two views of sanctification that, that come into play here, I think. The first is, is thinking of sanctification from the perspective of how thorough it is, all right? His work of sanctification of making us holy is something that he will do, and it will be a thorough work, right? He will make us thoroughly holy. He will complete us in that sense of we will be finished. We will be complete. But there's also a little different view of, of sanctification that comes into play here, and that's what I'll call the long view, all right? And it's that view of sanctification that says, <clears throat> all right, God is going to complete his work, will be thoroughly holy, but that's what it's going to be at the end. That's gonna, what it's going to be at the day of Christ. In between now and the day of Christ, there's going to be a lot that happens. We all know what that journey to sanctification is like, right? It can be two steps forward and one step back. In fact, it often is that. And sometimes it's, it's one step forward and two steps back. One step forward and two steps back. And we look at ourselves and we realize I'm going in the wrong direction. And the word of God doesn't thrill me like it used to. And the idea of Jesus' love doesn't hit me like it used to. And we go into what we call despair. And we look at ourselves and we think, I'm not going to make it. And this is where, where Paul wants to remind us again that, hey, this is God's work. And what he began, he will complete. And so when you're tempted to fall into despair, you have to hang on to this perspective of the day of Christ, that on that day, Jesus Christ will be acknowledged for what? As our faithful Lord, as our merciful God, as the God who never quits, is a God who doesn't just save partially, but he saves completely and fully. What Paul is telling us and what he's telling the Philippians is don't despair. You'll never make it on your own strength. So don't just say, I've got to try harder, I've got to try harder. No, but you will make it on God's strength. And so just ask. Lord, restore to me a thrill for your gospel. Restore to me the emotion of love and excitement over Jesus' love for me. Because Paul says that day is coming. 
And it will be Christ's day. It will be His day. It will prove Him faithful and good and powerful, powerful enough even to produce in us the fruit of righteousness that will be harvested on that last day to what? To the glory and praise of God. So don't give up. Don't despair. God is at work. Let's bow together in a word of prayer. Lord Jesus, all of our days are in your hands. Not just the days of the past, but the days of the future. It wasn't just your work or it wasn't your work of calling us out of the world and to yourself. That wasn't your only work in our lives, but you are here every day, walking with us, carrying us, encouraging us, convicting us of sin, bringing us to our knees in, in, in confession, convincing us again of the truth of the gospel and the freedom that we have in Christ and only in Christ. And it's your work that will carry us to that day when you will be praised and honored and glorified and acknowledged by all of your people that you were faithful to your promises. And so, Lord, we praise you, we worship you, and we acknowledge you as our God. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.